Y'all are singing this morning. Woo! That's pretty amazing. Hey, this morning we begin a new sermon series. We're going to be in a series called Best Sermon Ever for the next eight weeks. This is my last official sermon series here, although I have a sneaky suspicion I'll be here after the end of August uh, from time to time bugging you people and hanging out. So, um, But as I was starting to think about, um, man, if I had eight weeks left to preach, what would I preach on? If I had one week left to preach, what would I preach on is really what I started thinking about. And if I could preach about one thing, it would be Jesus. I teased it a little bit a couple weeks ago and said, I I think I'd just title the sermon, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we would just talk about Jesus the whole time. And so as I was considering where God would want to lead us in these last eight weeks officially together, um, I thought, "What what a great place to land in the Sermon on the Mount, in Jesus' amazing sermon to his disciples, to his Followers, So that's where we're going to be um, for the remaining eight weeks. A couple things about this uh, series, details about this series. One um, is that we are going to take communion together each and every Sunday. Some of you come as visitors from traditions where you do that every week anyway, so that'll be nothing new to you. But here at Big Sacred Christian Fellowship, we tend to do it about once a month. Um, but we, as a worship team, were up on a little mountain, and we were um, doing communion together and talking about the centrality of Jesus. Um, and, and I was sort of thinking, how can we just make sure we do stay, stay centered on Jesus? And um, the way that we're going to be doing that in a real tangible sense is to do communion each and every week together. So that means uh, the kids will come in early this week. They won't come in early every single week, but we'll give you warning when your kiddos are coming back in from base camp and joining us for communion each and every Sunday. Um, beyond that, I've got a couple books for you that you may want to read along with. John Stott's Sermon on the Mount. Incredible, incredible evangelical pastor. And then um, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you pronounce his name, on the Sermon on the Mount. These are two really helpful books uh, that if you want to check out, you want to dive a little deeper into this um, series, go ahead and read those. About five years ago, I got an email from a buddy of mine, and he said, hey, there's this little church in Big Sky, and, uh, and, and, and they got this little chapel that they're a part of, and I know you're searching for a, um, a lead pastor position, and I think you should think about it. And I said, Big Sky? Like, I know Big Sky. Uh, 14 years ago, my wife and I got engaged in Soldier Chapel. And my wife is from the valley. Uh, her whole family is down there and, and farms a big farm down there. We're the only ones that don't farm, I always say. I farm other things, you know, not crops. I farm people. Um, so, um, and, and I thought, boy, this is, this is kind of funny. I want to learn more about this church. I want to hear what this church is all about. And there was this phrase that kept popping up. 
throughout the search process and throughout us weighing whether um, this was where God was calling us in that season of life. And that phrase was this. People kept saying, well, we passionately follow Jesus. And I, man, that's, I like that. I can get with that. I'm a Jesus-y guy. I like Jesus people. I don't like religion. I like relationship. I like this whole idea of the messiness of following Jesus. If you've been around me for a few minutes, like my passion tends to come out. It's mostly good, sometimes not so much, right? So, so a passionately following Jesus kind of congregation, that sounds, that sounds awesome. It sounds like, like a great place to be. Uh, and I want to circle back to this idea of passionately following Jesus in this sermon series. Here's the big idea for this series. The big idea for the best sermon ever is this, to passionately follow Jesus together. That's what this series is going to be all about. It's going to be all about passionately following Jesus together. And I don't know who's going to be your next pastor. I don't know what he's going to look like or what kind of jokes he's going to tell. I don't know anything about that. I don't know how many tattoos he's going to have. Um, But what I do know that needs to go in that survey is that you need somebody who passionately follows Jesus because y'all do. So you need somebody who passionately follows Jesus together. And just like we started five years ago, we want to end five years later uh, by passionately following Jesus together. This church is not about you. Surprise, surprise. It's not. It's not about me. It's not about this building. It is about and always has been about Jesus. And so if we see one thing clearly, if we hear one voice clearly, let it be the voice of Jesus as we passionately follow him together. And I think he would have a question for us this morning. He was sitting with us this morning and he was saying, hey, about to give you the Sermon on the Mount, folks. I got a quick question for you. And here's the question worth pondering. How would you describe a blessed life? How would you describe a blessed life? Like, like if we sat down and I said, well, what does a blessed life look like? What might you say? Would you say, well, just a little more money than I have right now? Would you say that maybe? Would you say, well, maybe just a few more vacations. That'd be just one more vacation. Maybe a blessed life would be um, I'm out of debt. Maybe a blessed Life would be um, this abundance of family and that we have a really close-knit family and our family does everything together. What would be your definition of a blessed life? And be honest with me, right? Because we're in church and I know if I ask you that question out loud, you give me some like church answer like, oh, Jesus. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, but it's, it looks like a squirrel to me, right? Like so, okay. I mean... What do you really, what do you and what does the world define as blessed? Isn't it true that the world has some interesting definitions about the word blessed? Right? Can, can we just be honest for a minute? The people that we define as blessed in our uh, culture are successful. I, I think that's the big word in, in the United States in terms of people who are blessed. I think we define them as successful. Maybe they're successful athletes. Have you ever been around a professional 
athlete. You think, man, they have gotten to the top of their game, right? They're absolutely blessed. They're using, they're using their talents and they're enjoying their talents. They're absolutely blessed. Or we look at somebody who's been successful in business and we say, look at that person. They made millions of dollars. They got a yacht in the Keys, right? And, and they're just cruising around because they're blessed, right? Or maybe we say, oh, there's that blessed family down the road, and they just look, they look blessed, right? Like their kids' hair is always parted in the right direction. They're not like the Vanepps kids. They're like, they're like civil, right? Um, how do you define blessed? See, our, I think our world wants to define blessed for us. And I think oftentimes it, it wants to define it um, as things that can actually come and go very, very quickly. And I, and I actually think we define it in very, very shallow ways. And I think Jesus would want to challenge us in our thinking about blessing as he begins the greatest sermon Ever. I think his description of a blessed life would actually start with an upside down life. And start, instead of work hard, play harder, retirement, success, money, I think Jesus' description would be an upside down life. And here is where I get that from Matthew 5 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. And he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. So Jesus, look at the setting. He's on a mountainside. Okay? He's on a mountainside. All right? Mountainside with his disciples. The people that are passionately following him together. He sits down with them. And he begins to teach. And this is what he says. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you so Jesus sits down with his disciples and he says you want to know you you want to know how to bless life goes Well, blessed life is an upside-down life. With our time together, I just want to go through an upside-down life check 
list. Because I don't think this is the definition that the world gives us. And if we're really honest in the room, this is going to push on you. Okay? I think this sermon, like every good sermon, it's going to push on you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to challenge you. Right? It's going to inspire you. But Jesus doesn't start with a soft word. He starts with a very challenging word. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is not how a lot of American sermons start, is it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I I don't know what kind of churches you've been to. I I would assume we've all been to a lot of different kinds of churches in our day. But I can tell you this. If you spend enough time in Christian land and you spend enough time uh, at churches, at some point you'll find somebody who says something to the effect of the Christian life and blessing in the Christian life is about being happy and wealthy. It is. that's, That's what... Even Christians sometimes would say, we've got a phrase for this, we call it the health and wealth gospel. And guess what? People love it, right? I mean, who doesn't love that, right? Like, listen, this is how the sermon goes. Jesus loves you, so you should be happy and healthy and wealthy. And everybody's like, amen, Pastor Brian. I am on board with with that, right? I had, I had a buddy of mine. Um, he shall remain unnamed. I was going to say his name. I'm not going to do that. He'll go on podcast and then he'll listen to it. Okay, so he, uh, we were at this, um, this conference and, and there was a bit of a health and wealth preacher. And at one point the preacher said, listen, if you want God to bless you, then you need to bless him. If you want God to bless you, you need to bless him. So I need you to bring your money forward, right? This is like, he wanted, this guy wanted him to bring it forward. My buddy looks at me. He says, Brian, I really want a new Camaro. And he just beelines down the aisle with like a $100 bill in his hand. Like, Jesus is going to get me a Camaro. Never got the Camaro, okay? Um, I mean, this, this, this sounds good to the ear, doesn't it? But Jesus doesn't start there. He says, blessed are the poor in Spirit. Luke, actually, when he sort of uh, shares about his account of this, he doesn't actually use the spirit part. He just talks about poor. He just talks about poor. This should be super challenging to us right away, right? We are in the top 1%. If you're in Big Sky right now, trust me, you're in the top 1%. You might be in the top half percent of the world right now, right? But Matthew's account says, blessed are the poor in Spirit. The poor in spirit understand that they're lacking. That's the, that's the spirit of this. That's the heart of this. The poor in spirit are those who understand they are lacking. Do you feel like you need more of Jesus? Do you feel lacking on a daily basis? Do you long for Jesus because you know that you're just coming poor before him. See, Jesus would say, blessed are those who understand that they are poor in sight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even scraps from his table would be better than the best things in this life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Number two, blessed are the tearful. This doesn't mean you can't smile. It doesn't mean you have to go crying all day. 
But, but he says, blessed are the mourn, mourning, those who mourn. Why? Well, there's a lot to mourn about, isn't there? I mean, I'm, a, I'm a reasonably happy guy. I like to laugh more than I like to cry. Uh, I'll be honest with you. But, but Jesus says, listen, this isn't about happiness. <clears throat> blessed are those who mourn. Is this life hard? I, I can tell you right now. Tom and Mary Jurgens are mourning because this life is hard. I can tell you that Jesus himself, when his best friend Lazarus died, guess what he did? He cried. Because he had to look death in the face. Death, the thing that he's not about. He's about life, and yet he had to look death in the face. Man, you read the paper for five minutes, or go on Google News, or whatever, wherever you get your news. You understand that this life is hard. That there's a lot, a lot of things to mourn about. And, and thank God that it is just a shadow and a mist of the things to come. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. There's a picture in Revelation where Jesus, at the end of all things, wipes every tear from your eye. I, I said this to a pastor buddy of mine at one point. I said, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and have a good cry with Jesus. And he's like, what? And I'm like, well, it says he's going to wipe every tear from my eye. And man, I got a lot to cry about. Like I've had a lot of things in, in just even my short life so far that, man, a lot, of, a lot worth mourning about. Right? So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be Comforted. Blessed, not, not blessed are the happy, clappy Jesus? Nope. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Meek's a weird word. Um, we don't use that word a whole lot in our common language, but um, look at the opposite of meek. So mighty would be sort of the opposite of meek. Powerful would be the opposite of meek. High and lifted up would be the opposite of meek. And Jesus would say, those who are low, those who are meek, those are those who will inherit the earth. He's saying those who are low are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. Those who are low, not the ones who are high, Jesus. Wait a minute, we live in a power society. Like It's the people that are in charge who make the difference. They're the ones that inherit the earth. And Jesus say, no, no, no. They're getting their reward. They're already getting their reward right now. They're missing out on the real reward. Blessed are the meek, not the mighty. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be Filled. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, led by the Spirit, right before his ministry begins. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. I don't, I don't, four, I could do four hours, I think, and then I'd be hungry. I, I, <laughs> this is, you know. Um, Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, is out there in the desert, and Satan comes to him, and guess what Satan says? Are you hungry? Which the answer is, yes, I am. I'm hungry, right? He says, well, listen, 
just here's a rock, take the rock and then make it into this. Jesus, like you can do that. You got those powers, like take the rock, make it into a nice loaf of bread. You're going to be happy. You're going to be good. You're going to be fulfilled. And Jesus says to him, man does not live on bread alone, but instead lives by every word that comes from the Father. See, Jesus hungered and thirsted for one thing. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? What are your appetites? Like, what, do you, what do you sit around when, when nobody's paying attention and you think, if I could just have that. If I could just get that, then, I, then, I, then finally I'd be fine. What do you hunger and thirst for? Jesus would say, don't hunger and thirst for things that are temporal. Hunger and thirst for that which is right, that which is lasting. It's part of why we're going to have communion today. You should be hungry and thirsty for that. One of the things I do occasionally, I'm going to do it every, every, um, every time, um, but quite often, uh, uh, when I know communion's coming, I won't eat breakfast. Wanna know why? Because I want to be really hungry for communion. Like, literally hungry for communion. Like, hey, I haven't had my uh, not so healthy breakfast yet, right? And I want to be hungry for Jesus. What do you hunger and thirst for? Blessed are the merciful. Mercy simply is forgiveness. Are you a good forgiver? Or is that hard? I'm self like, oh man, I, I don't even want to admit how many of these I'm just like really struggling with. Um, but like, how forgiving are you? Or do you hold on to things? Like, do you say things like, I forgive you, but then deep down you're like, yeah, but not really. Right? Like you carry this little bitter seed with you and you're like, I'm going to hang on to that little bitter seed and I'm sure it won't sprout into anything, but I'm just going to hang on to that bitter seed. I'm going to just keep it hidden back in here. I'm sure it won't, I'm sure it won't affect anything. I'm sure it won't grow up and, and become full fledged malice, full fledged anger. Are, are you merciful? Oh, this is a great story that Jesus tells later. Um, about this guy who owes a great sum of debt to a leader. And he comes before that leader and he says, I can't, I can't pay this. And the leader says, I'll forgive it. I'll be merciful to you. And that same guy goes, oh, that's awesome. And he leaves and he goes out from the courtroom and he sees this dude in the street who owes him like 10 bucks. And he's like, throw that guy in jail. He owes me something, right? King hears about this takes the man and says, listen, I was merciful. Why weren't you merciful? Guess, guess what, man? You're going back to jail. And you're not going to get out of there until you pay me in full. Blessed are the merciful. Do you have somebody in your past that you haven't forgiven yet? And I'm not talking about, you know, if it's an abusive situation, I'm not talking about going back to the abuser. I'm not, but I'm saying like in your heart. Have you truly forgiven that person? Have you set them free? 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You ever feel like you need a shower from the world? I, I do. Like, I, I feel like we live in a filthy, filthy world. I, I, I constantly sit around, because uh, I got a five and six year old, and like, they start to like, grab phones and, and TVs and things and remotes, and I'm like, constantly like, like, sort of like, oh no, what are they, they going to turn on, right? Like, what kind of filth is going to show up in front of them? I can barely, like, listen to songs on the radio anymore without somebody, like, using expletives that I'm like, seriously? You couldn't come up with a better word than that? Like, that's the word? Really? Like, it doesn't even rhyme, right? Like, come on, rap guys, that doesn't even rhyme, all right? So... We live in a filthy world. A couple, couple years ago, I uh, read through a book by Craig Rochelle, I would encourage you to read, called Soul Detox. Soul Detox. And, and basically, he talks about how we live in a contaminated world and, and how to live a pure life in a contaminated world. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. This makes so much sense, right? If filth is in your way, if distractions are in your way, if your intentions aren't pure, if your motives aren't pure, you're not going to see God. Right? It's, it's those who have tried to remove distractions, who have focused singularly on Jesus, who haven't turned to the right or turned to the left or turned to something other than Jesus. Those will be the ones that will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In a world at war. Can, do anybody else want to take a nap until December of 2020? Anybody else? Raise your hand. No? Okay. All right. Because <clears throat> we're going to see the best of the best of our country in this upcoming year. <clears throat> right? Like, nobody believes that. Right? It, it, I mean, we all laugh because it's like a little too close to the truth. Right? I mean, get on social media for five minutes and all it is is a war of words. Fair warning, if you're part of that war of words, I don't care how far right or how far left you are. If you're my friend on Facebook and you go one or the other, you're defriended. That's just how it is. I still might love you and be your pastor, but you're probably defriended and I don't see your posts anymore. Like, blessed are the peacemakers. Wait a minute, Jesus. Like, blessed are the mighty. Blessed are the dominant. Like, that's how we roll. America, right? No, 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 no. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a, a person who makes peace? Are you a person who others get around? You get around pe- peacemakers, and it's just fun to be around them, isn't it? Like, like, you get around them, and you can just feel it. Like, this person brings peace into every single situation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not those who are blessed because not, not blessed are the persecuted because they're awful on Facebook. That's not what it says, okay? It's, that's not what it says. Like it doesn't say blessed are 
those who think they're being persecuted because they're just kind of a jack wagon on social media, right? Like, this, this just irks me. When I see Christians who can't act civil, who can't make peace, and then have the audacity to say, I'm being persecuted, I'm like, dude, we need to send you to China, bro. Like, you need to see real persecution. People who love Jesus, who have to hide out in, in underground churches, literally some of them underground. They know that their faith will literally get them thrown into jail. And we do live in this beautiful country that is independent and free. And nobody's really worried this morning about us worshiping here, right? And me proclaiming Jesus, right? And we take that for granted. It may not happen in your lifetime, but persecution always comes to the church. Always, always, always. If we live these things out, if we're as serious about this as Jesus was, and we are as serious about this upside-down kingdom, it will run directly headlong into the kingdoms of the world, and people will not like that. And people will challenge that. And you will receive persecution. Uh, um, some of you have shared this with me. We don't get outright persecution here in Big Sky. Because everybody's spiritual here in Big Sky. Okay, So we don't get outright persecution. But we get like treated like morons. That's what we get treated like. Like, oh, really? You believe in that? Okay. Like, the best part of being a pastor is that if I want to end a conversation, I just am like, I'm a pastor to somebody who I know doesn't want to talk anymore, right? I guess it's my, it's my card, right? So, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed, and then he says this, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How does your life align with this checklist? Like, is this challenging to you this morning? This is challenging to me. I, I, I read this numerous times throughout the week and I was thinking like, how can I change that phrase? Like, can I just substitute a few of them so I feel a little bit better about life? Like, how does your life align with this checklist? And not out of a sense of guilt. Right? Um, Jesus is going to say some really hard things throughout this sermon to us. Um, And it's not like we're trying to heap guilt on you, but I think it's important for us to take a look in the mirror every once in a while and go, how, how, what, is, what does my life look like? And I think the danger is there's two temptations as we look at a checklist like this. One of, one of which is this. Some of us would say, yeah, but Brian, it's all about grace. Like, I can almost hear the email coming in already. Like, boy, that was kind of judgy, Brian. Like, a little more grace would have been awesome, right? Okay? And we want to hop on the grace train and do whatever we want, Right? And so some of us want to hop on the grace train and just be like, yeah, but that's why Jesus died. And which is, that's, that's fair theologically, right? Right? It is why Jesus died. We want to gra- grab the, the grace train. And then there's some in the room that want to grab the truth train and, and want to be like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed at this this week. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to go, oh, yep, poor in spirit. I feel very impoverished on Monday morning in my spirit. I cried a lot this past week. I, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't beat my chest. I was very meek, 
You know, I, I, I fasted on Wednesday, so I was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And somebody could go, check, 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 check. I'm on the truth train. I got it, right? Now, I want to say there's a third way, folks, and it's the Jesus way. See, Jesus didn't come with 50% grace and 50% truth. He came with 100% grace and 100% truth. John 1 says it this way. He came full of grace and truth. So as we look at this sermon, as we look at this checklist, what I want to encourage is fruit. I want to encourage fruit. See, um, so, so we, we got a, a new house on Monday down at Elk Grove. So no, there's no stress in the Vanep's house this week. None whatsoever. Um, and uh, in that backyard is an apple tree. And do you know why it grows apples? Because it's an apple tree. Right? Thanks, Captain Obvious. Right? It's an apple tree, and it grows apples because that's what it, it is. If you passionately follow Jesus, not, not rules, not regulations, if you don't passionately follow something that you've created in your own image, but if you follow the vine, if you're, if you're connected to the vine and you're just a branch, do, do you know what you're going to produce? Fruit. And what kind of fruit will you produce? Well, the fruit that God has made you into.